Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm today I'm here with Quaid and David Joseph. And George is running a little bit late, but he might may join us during this podcast. So basically, um, I'm just I'm I'm just going to start out by mentioning that today is my birthday. So I'm 29, so I'm like really old, and that's that's funny. Um, <laughs> And I recently um, got my Free Will and Abortion Denial book published on Audible as an audiobook. Um, it's narrated by somebody else who gets half the royalties. And I think that's a pretty big uh, thing as far as my way of promoting the illusion of free will, though it's certainly going to be controversial because it connects um, this free will belief and how it interacts with, you know, an emotionally charged topic, you know, and that's the problem is like you, you guys know how some things are easier to s discuss, whereas other things are too emotional and then people get really nasty because it, because it, it interferes with what they want. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem. That might be what's going on with the, the daily coast or whatever, you know? Yeah. And see, cause um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the Daily Coast thing when George gets here because it's really sort of his project that he's re recommending for the rest of us to do. And of course, I, I've been participating by commenting and sharing on his posts and Nick Vale's posts and, and stuff like that. But um, basically, George um, thinks that this Daily Coast site, because it gets a lot of visits, a lot of people read and write stuff on that site, so it's more of an exposure than Facebook. Because, you know, Facebook or Google+, Plus, most social media, you post something, no one cares, it gets lost. Um, so he seems to think that this Daily Coast uh, thing, this site, is the place to write stuff about how we don't have free will, why it matters. And I think, I think, hey, you know, we should try every attempt that's good, you know, because um, we got to keep trying until something really sticks. Because, yeah. you know, like we've been, we've done well over 150 podcasts and we've talked about, you know, why, why can't people understand that free will is an illusion? And what's the correct way to get the message out there to where people can benefit from it? So, guys, what are your thoughts about, you know, why is it so hard for people to get it? Egos. I think people have really big egos. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, like they have a big sense of self um, and thinking like, well, I did this. Aren't I great that I did this thing? And by telling them that nobody has a free will because what they do is determined by prior causes – it's like we're saying they can't take credit for it, which we are basically saying that. Um, and, and of course, I think it's kind of an interesting thing because, like, if no, if if people were never taught the this belief in free will to begin with, then they would have an easier time getting fulfillment out of doing what they want to do without believing that they that it's really up to them. But, well, I would say say that people don't really think about it. They're quite apathetic to it until you actually bring it up and make them consider what free will is and how it impacts them. I don't think most people actually consider it. I think it's just like a product of the system, the way we're raised. 
and the environment that we're all, you know, subjected to, that free will kind of comes as standards. You know, it's like being raised in a religious family. It's like God comes as standard, and in this case, free will comes as standard with a money system where everyone has to compete. So you want people to feel like they've earned their place. You want people to feel like they've done it themselves and they've achieved something with their lives. And yeah. free will kind of goes along with that. And your whole ego problem and you know, everything that goes along with that promotes free will. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's sort of built into the system. It's like an unspoken assumption behind everything. Because people, yeah, they're in this world where they compete and they brag about their accomplishments. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, that that as well. That's one of the ways. It's it's kind of just tacitly accepted. You know, it's like you just you just accept it and you don't think about it at that point. I've I've had and I know for sure what you're saying at least has substance substance because I've talked with people about this before and I'm you know when it comes down to it most of them at some point in the conversation say like well I guess I just don't think about this stuff you know and so that seems and that's I've had that repeated conversation with several people so on one level it is just like people not thinking about it another one that I think is a problem not just for this issue but for a lot of issues is um uh relativism that the academic notion that has become more popular, you know, relative, you can't tell other people they're wrong. So if people think free will exists, you know, it, it exists. And it, it's used by academic, it's really weird the way that it's used because, like, if it's something that most liberals um, disagree with, well, or if it's something most liberals agree with, you know, well, it's relative. So you can't tell people they're wrong. But if it's something that they disagree with, they will start to, like, like for instance, this word propaganda is used against people, right? So, like, what you're doing is just propaganda. Like, what propaganda means, actually, is to, it's to propagate an idea, right? I think we've had this conversation before. It's to, and everybody's trying to push these notions, whether or not they want to admit it. And so, I think it's not just, I think it's not just um, um, ego in the, in the one sense, which I think you're right about, in that people, they want to take praise, they want to be able to praise themselves for the actions that they commit. I think more than that, it's the idea of academic, like, but yeah, yeah, academia, I think, in general, I think um, there, there's a pomp to it in that we have to stick to the idea of relativism. So if I don't want this thing to be true, I can just claim that it's relative, and if you disagree with me, then... Uh, academia, I think, has built kind of a lot of its premises based on this idea of relativism. Yeah, uh, and so it yeah. makes it hard to have some conversations about things. Well, yeah, um, I think you're really onto something, Quaid, because for a long time I've been a critic of relativism. I don't, I, I think people have a misunderstanding of relativism because. Like sometimes people like to say, well, there is no truth, you know, nothing, you can't ever say anything is true or false. What if we just live in a matrix and then they get into some kind of solipsism? So that's, yeah. you know, that's one kind of relativism where you can't tell somebody, well, this is true or this is false because then they get all offended and say, well, I want to believe this, so don't tell me it's false. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with that, you're, you're cutting the branch that you're sitting on. So, I mean, you're saying... Nothing is true, but then the state well, is the statement you're making true or false? Is the statement that nothing is true true or false? You know, so it's like you're, you're cutting the branch that you sit on by saying that nothing is true by making a statement that we either have to assess as true or false. 
That is exactly right, Quaid. You, you couldn't have said it any better than that. Well, of course, none of us could have said anything otherwise than we did. But, but, but yeah, um, this relativism is self-refuting because if someone makes a statement, oh, there is no truth, there's nothing that's true, it's all opinion, then you ask them, is that true? And if yeah. they say, yes, it's true that there's no truth, then they're trying to claim that there's a truth, but they just said there was no truth. <laughs> and if they say it's false, well, that's the opposite of true. And <laughs> and if yeah, they what they do is they confuse nuance with true or false. So like I think a lot of I think some of these people have legitimately they some of them have obviously the, like the people that we're engaging with on the internet have um, legitimately studied some philosophers and philosophers talk about it. And so they think because it's nuanced that you can't take a stance on it, when in reality you can, and I myself have read all, a lot of the philosophers that they assert to have read, I, I've just dismissed them. I wasn't afraid to say that they were right or wrong based on... I. And at one point I was actually um, a compatibilist, so I did believe, I, I for a brief while accepted... Um, uh, Daniel Dennett's kind of explanation of, I was just like, oh, okay, well, technically that exists. Technically, of course, you still make what we call choices. Technically, you have this thing called law that you have to give people responsibility for. But I think with that, I, I was ignoring the word free will. You know, I kind of got, I, it, I and that's the other thing that people are afraid to get into, which is semantics, because I think a lot of it has to do with semantics, but you can't make semantical arguments anymore without people being like, oh, you can't make... For some reason, semantics doesn't matter anymore. The way we use words doesn't matter to a lot of people anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, what's interesting about that, Quaid, is that another problem we face is because of the relativism, people um, can't... that Like, it's, people argue over definitions, and they say, well, you can't say that my definition is wrong. I can define free will in any way I would like. Therefore, I can have free will, so you can't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and see, that's a problem because while words and semantics do get complicated, and sure, all all language is, is invented by humans, you know, um, yeah. I do think there is an actual belief that this belief in free will, we could call it free will or we could call it moral responsibility or we could call it being the self-cause or, or authorship. There's many different things we could call this. Um, besides just free will, but I think that this belief in free will um, is, is synonymous with being deserving of reward and punishment. And I think the key issue is that people can still have disagreements on issues of morality and legality even after accepting that free will is inclusion. Like, I, I like, this is an interesting case because, like, take for example, Quaid, somebody could be two, you could have two determinists. One person would be for the death penalty and the other person would be against the death penalty. And here's how this might play out. Can you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I, th I think I do, but you can go ahead and... Yeah, I'll explain and clarify this. Now, now both people agree that nobody deserves anything, reward or punishment, um, for anything because it wasn't really up to them. There's no free will. Everything is a causal or a causal. However, one person feels that it's not worth the effort to rehabilitate people and that they should just be killed if they're a threat and they're doing crimes. 
Um, whereas another person tends to try to have more compassion on people and with desire for them to change and therefore does not want to kill them, but instead wants programs to reform and educate and give them second chances to be part of society and not be a criminal. So both of those people have an opinion. Both accept the lack of free will, but they have different um, opinions as far as practicality about how to do things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I've thought of that about that before, and I, I agree, you know, almost wholeheartedly. It's because I, I, I think I had said this before, but I've I've read a lot of books uh, by people who believe in free will, a lot of chapters or whatever you want to call it, uh, or you know, a lot of posts online, uh, and like a lot of them do different things. But one of the things that they do is they use words like responsibility or choice, and then the word free will never comes up. And to me, if you can if you can get through your whole spiel without actually using the word that is up for or using the, the phrase that is up for discussion, there's no reason for the phrase. You seem to be able to get through the whole conversation without this other notion. You know, so we can still have conversations about responsibility, we can still have conversations about um, punishment, all these other things that uh, I think they become argue, uh, harder to argue. Like for instance, you were saying you know, the death penalty, you can still technically be, you could find a reason to be for the death penalty, even if you accommodate, um, for, uh, free will, even if you, even if, uh, the person doesn't believe in free will. But I think, uh, in that instance, it also, I think, uh, in a lot of instances, once you remove blame, people lose the reason to be for it. So they might find other reasons, right? Legitimate reasons that need to be discussed, Right. But one of those, one of the, one of the reasons that is not legitimate is just the idea that this person deserves blame for some reason. Like that is no longer a valid argument. And then we, what happens is we, we, be, we get to a place where we can actually have a practical discussion about something. It's really hard to have the discussion when someone just wants to assign blame to this person because they're the origin of the action. Without and I, I said this before, it's deliberate myopia. Like it's it's you want to focus on the individual, despite the fact that there's no such thing as an individual in a vacuum. We're all participating in this social structure that also needs to be dealt with. And yeah, it seems that's it seems, exactly right, Wade. Yeah, and the second you put free will on the table, that that conversation goes away for a lot of people. Yeah, see, you said a lot of important things there, Quaid, and I'm glad that this is recorded because, see, here's the deal, is people, like, I don't think they want to have the discussion. They just want to keep things the way they are. Then the desire to kill or punish someone based on the sense of them deserving it, that particular justification vanishes, as you just yeah. said, Quaid. And then a person has to find other justifications for doing that punishment. And what might be legitimate justifications, like you said, then the discussion becomes about, well, what are our resources? Is it practical to try to reform this person as opposed to just kill them? You know, and that's also that's a scary conversation to have because the answer might legitimately be no in some circumstances, uh, which you would have to prepare for if you're a, if you're a pragmatic, if you're a pragmatist, if you believe in practice, if you're if you're a humanist and you want the best for humans overall, uh, it might be a legitimate argument that some people we would have to exhaust way too much too much of our resource to our detriment to help that person. Now, like, my counter-argument to that, though, like, I, I'm still against the death penalty, but the reason that I am is because I think that the human brain is really hard to construct, you know? Like, 
It's something that has to happen over time. With gen We can't do it. We can't just make a brain. But the brain is a valuable resource because brains are um, problem solvers. If you give a criminal a math problem, it will try to find a way to solve that. They, criminals do solve their own solutions. So what you have is you have a problem-solving uh, problem machine that you'd be willing to just kind of throw away. It's, it's certainly not something that should just happen passively. Like it should be argued that the brain is worth maintaining because we need that mind to say stop global warming, find new ways of doing things and innovating. You can't do that without the human brain. And yeah. so to me, we have to put the emphasis on the fact that the brain is very important. But you could still make the argument that it's it's not worth exhausting certain resources. Yeah, well, you know, you make you make a powerful case there, quite. I've never heard that one before. But like, take for example, let's say that there's a, a criminal who, for example, a bank robber. We'll just use a bank robber or a burglar as an example. Well, it does take their human brain, their intelligence, to be able to do um, those crimes for a significant amount of time before getting caught. Yep. And they have to they have to problem solve. How am I going to get into the bank? Some of them do it better than others, others obviously, but they're all trying to problem solve. That's the key. Yeah, and so uh, like I like what you said there because like if if that brain power is put to a good use, the, and yeah. that person is reformed and given opportunities, well, here's something you can use your brain that's not for that's not a crime and that helps people as well as yourself. Gives that person a sense of that they do something and feel good about their life, then their whole life is turned around and we haven't thrown away a valuable brain. Yeah, yeah, that's an inexhaustible resource right there is a brain. It can problem solve. It can do a lot of things that we, we can't just make something to do, at least not yet. And then what happens when we do then? There's another argument there. So what if we can start to make brains? Maybe then it is just better to get rid of the old one, bad ones or whatever. I don't know. But. Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting about it, Quaid, is these conversations can be scary, but I like to have them. I like to have these discussions about, you know, okay, so free will is an illusion, and then how do we, how do we conduct our world based on this truth? Like, because, like, first, I think truth is important. You know, like, I think it's not good for us to just keep false beliefs just because, oh, well, things work the way we want when people have these false beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, for example, um, on one hand, I would, I would love um, nobody to be killing anybody. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, so, like, some people might say, well, if we teach people that if they kill someone, they're going to burn in hell forever, then that's then that will make them not do it. But, uh -huh. but you know, what's interesting about that, that doesn't seem to work in actual experience. Have you noticed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's, it's certainly I, – I forget who said it. I, I don't know if I agree with what you're saying wholeheartedly, but I've heard the argument before, and I agree to some extent. I think it's um, – you probably know him. It's the guy who's from the atheist experience. Um, you know Matt Dillahunty. Yeah, Matt Dillahunty has said before that you know that it's the, the falsities are harmful. They're more harmful than anything. I, I don't know if that's true in all circumstances. You know, like the the old the old moral conundrum: if a Nazi soldier comes to your door, is it better to lie to that person, perpetuate falsity by saying that person isn't there when they are? You know, in that case, the non-truth is better than the truth, you know? 
Yeah, well, that's an interesting one because, like, that, and of course, that's a whole other discussion worth having, you know, yeah. certainly. But, like, the way I look at it is that, like, let's say you could push um, a button. Let's say you had the option to, to push this button and then nobody can lie. They're all like Jim Carrey in that movie Liar, Liar, where they're incapable of lying. Like, yeah. can you imagine that? Would you push that button if you could inflict that um, honesty on everyone? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I've My thought jerk is to say yes. My knee jerk is to say yeah, that I would. <laughs> yeah, and see, I, I know I would just because then all of a sudden it's a lot harder to, it's, it's really hard to commit crimes without lying. It's really hard to to do dishonest and immoral things if, if you can't lie, you know? It's, it's it, and like, just think about how many men, you know, tell women they love them when they don't. They make promises yeah. that they don't keep, you know? My father was an example of that, you know? And so yeah. if, if you, make, if you um, make people be completely honest, then it's a lot harder for them to murder. It's harder for them to steal. All the harmful things that come along with that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sam Harris has a book called Lying in which he is, he balls to the wall is against lying, you know, in every scenario. So, like, um, uh, I forget exactly what he, he, he brought up some pretty good ones that I disagreed with. I, I, I thought that there were reasons for lying in specific instances, but one might be like, you know, the old one, your wife comes up to you and asks you if she looks beautiful in that dress, you know? Like, what do you, <laughs> is the truth, is the truth preferable in that instance to be like, no, you don't really look, you know, like, rather than just being like, of course, you always look beautiful, or you know, um, it's. I think it's, it's a tougher question to answer. I would. I would. Uh, what I would certainly say, though, is that I think that it's preferable in most circumstances for the truth to prevail. I think that's a an a, an assertion that I can make with confidence. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm down with that, Quaid. I think we can say, for the most part, in most cases, it's good to be honest. And, and some of us may think there are times when it's genuinely good to lie. But regarding um, when someone's wife uh, asks them if they look beautiful in that dress. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's how here's how a determinist answers that question. <laughs> oh, you look, you look you look hideous, but don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. <laughs> you yeah. how you look. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that'll that'll go down well. I'll have to try that one out and see if. Uh... That'll be the last you guys hear of me. Well, well, wait. Now you know why I'm still single. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to go off of that a little bit, though, I think, like, you know, is it not preferable to be like, well, if you, if you want to appear a certain way out in public, it might be preferable if you try these other things. That's, you know, that's, isn't that not fair and kind, even? That, that's, that doesn't sound very kind to me. I think that's... It doesn't, that, that, Maybe that not. would get a slap. That would get a slap, I think, Maybe. in most cases. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. And by the way, regarding Sam Harris's book, Lying, I actually listened to the audio book of that. I forgot what I forgot all that he said, though, so I might want to listen to it again sometime. But yeah, it, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thing to discuss, you know, what, if there are times when it's good to lie or not. But yeah, I just think we generally agree it's good not to lie. I remember what he said now. Surprises. That was it. That was the big one. 
if you're if you're doing a surprise party for somebody, if you're giving them a surprise gift, it takes a certain level of deceit in order to make that work. But yeah. he argued he argued against it even. He said no, we shouldn't. He basically, I guess, was saying we should no longer have surprise parties. I don't know if I'm willing to take it that far. Well, you know what's funny about that, Quaid, is that I've never liked surprises. And I don't even... <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of the person who wants to know what the surprises are in advance so it doesn't – so I know that my schedule is open for the surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, seriously, though, um, to get a little bit back on topic with the free will thing – I think it's what we were get, we're talking about is you know even after we've accepted that free will is an illusion, there's still other topics worth discussing. We still have disagreements about lying, about the death penalty. We can disagree on all kinds of things, and I think that's what's amazing, Quaid, is that you know the co-hosts who work on this podcast, they're a great bunch of people, you know. Yeah. Be and of course they can't take credit for it, but. Because there are people who understand that free will is an illusion, we don't blame each other when we disagree on things. Yeah, yeah, we don't blame each other. And if there is something that we happen to be right about, I don't just sit here and feel great about myself because I happen to know something somebody else doesn't. I, I feel fortunate. I feel like not only do I feel fortunate, but I want to share the information. Or maybe, and there's also that heavy dose of skepticism or doubt. Am I, am I really correct? Is there something that I've missed? There's, it, it takes off the levity of pressure that comes with competition, which we've talked about before. Well, I'm not – go ahead. Yeah. Well, Quaid, what I was going to respond to what you're just saying there. See, here's the deal. If you know something, yeah, you don't want to just feel good about that you know something. If that information is worth knowing, if it's helpful to someone, well, then you want to share it with others for their benefit – and also, you may find out that you're wrong. Through a discussion, you may find out that you're wrong about something. So it's a win-win. If you have the discussion, it's a win-win because either someone learns something from you or you learn something from them. Right. It's yeah. always good to be corrected. Yeah, exactly. And But with free will, though, it, it stops in a lot of scenarios because I'm sitting, I know that the second something comes out of my mouth from around a group of people who believe in free will, I will be blamed for incorrect thought. In a lot of circumstances. Oh yeah. And so I don't share the thought at that point. It's a it's a conversation stopper. It's a, it's a it's a progress. It's a um, solution stopper in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, I think that of free will as a conversation stopper. Um, I, I was just going to say I think most people have a kind of. Um, almost like a semi-grasp of free will. It's like um, a truncated version of free will. So they'll see a couple of steps back, but they won't go any further. They have a truncated version of free will, almost. It's yeah. like they think a couple of steps back, but beyond that, they assign blame. Whereas yeah. we, we go all the way back and don't assign blame. Exactly. No, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. That's what I... It's Again, it's... And this is through time, you know, so like at one point we're not blaming people who or we're, at one point in time we're blaming people with mental illnesses and then science tells us better and then we expand the realm, but we don't we never take it all the way. Exactly. It's strange to me that people don't get it. They can get it up to a certain point, but then there seems to be some kind of emotional bias that takes over. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to my friend about that because, you know, that to me that seemed to be the most convincing argument to him. He's still a free willist. But when I say, like, 
you know, imagine somebody you know, you know, like, or anybody, you can be Christian, you can be anything. Like, imagine that there's somebody you know uh, who you, they, they committed an incorrect action. I've seen people who would blame that, if they didn't know that person, they would blame that person millions of different ways, would call them this, call them that, but because they know them, because they saw the surrounding circumstances, they don't assign free will to them. And that's very strange. Yeah, the more aware they are of the causes of someone's behavior, the less they tend to blame them. Yeah, and specifically, the less they assign them free will, the less likely you're, the less likely you are to hear the words "free will" come out of their mouth about that person. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, and you know, like people in different areas, they're learning to understand this. Like people are learning to understand that oh, well, people don't choose to be gay. You know, right. that's yeah. that's become more popular and understand understood in the culture. It's also become more understandable in culture that you don't choose whether or not you believe in God. You don't really choose your religious beliefs or lack thereof. You know, um, yeah. a, a lot of people have written about that, um, including there's even a post on Daily Coast about that. You know, where you you just realize you know you believe something either because you have evidence for it or because you know you were just taught it since you were a child and so you just believed authority stuff like that mm -hmm. but i think we do need to eventually get to the point in our world where we understand this isn't just a thing where you don't choose your religious beliefs or you don't choose to be gay or straight but really it applies to every area of life i think that's where people are are missing it because they have pet issues. They have certain topics that are important to them, and they want to think, "Oh, well, I have choice in this, even though I don't. I don't choose this, 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 this." And they want yeah. a group to blame. Yeah, they're they are, they're always looking for someone to blame for the things that are wrong, you know. Um, and like George likes to say, um, he'll you know you can blame God, blame the universe, you know, which for him are the same kind of thing. If that makes you feel better, you know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I I don't see why we have to blame each other, um, you know, because it's kind of an interesting thing, because I, I call this the infinite blame regress. Like, for example, you can't blame yourself because you didn't choose to exist, so then you try to blame your parents. But then you realize that your parents didn't choose to exist either, so you blame your, your grandparents for producing your parents. But you yeah. realize they didn't choose their existence, so you blame your great-grandparents for your grandparents, which caused your parents, which caused you to do whatever it is it, that you were originally blaming yourself for. <laughs> and, you, you know, it goes on forever and ever. And back to infinity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like George has joined us yet, but we're having a good talk, so we might as well continue for a bit. Um and like for example people they're they're really reluctant with certain controversial issues like and because they don't want to think about um like there's this like you mentioned the relativism earlier people they want to do certain things in their life and so they have they try to maintain these ideas well this is a personal choice people can choose to live their lives the way they want to but then it's kind of interesting because everyone has limits. Like they, like we all believe to a certain extent that we should allow people to do what they want, which of course doesn't require free will because people have desires, they act on them. So yeah. 
the debate continues, even though the free will issue is settled, the debate continues is, under what circumstances do we restrict people from doing certain things? Mm -hmm. Isn't that kind of like where the tap dance begins, where, where you point out that free will is a silly idea, and then people suddenly change what free will means? Yeah, they like to change what it means, and there is a world of difference between simply acting on your desires and doing what you want and being the actual author of those desires. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it, um, I was going to say, well, so you don't want to talk about anything online without George here, Chandler? Well, um, actually, you know, I, I don't mind it personally. Um, I, I would like to say a few things, but you maybe you should just go ahead with whatever you were going to say. Well, I, I like the idea that you were that the article that that was you, right? That was you, yeah. On you were talking about the article about food. Oh yeah, that's right. I wrote a little. I wrote a little thing about about food and how and the four things that we don't choose that go into our food choices. You know, like we don't we don't choose the price. We don't choose the, how healthy a certain food is. We don't choose um, the how food tastes to us. We don't yeah. choose which foods are available to us, you know, all these different yeah. things that explain that we're not the authors of the food we put in our mouths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a good idea. You haven't posted that yet, have you? No, I haven't posted that yet because I, I, I'm kind of waiting for um, George's feedback specifically on that. I sent it to the whole group, but, you know, because I know George – he kind of wants this Daily Coast thing done his way, and he had those guidelines. So I just want to make sure that he's completely down with it before I post to Daily Coast. Plus, yeah. I want to do it at a time when I'll be available to respond to comments, you know? Yeah, yeah I would yeah, like you to do it at a time when – same thing with me. I would want to be available to yeah. have that conversation. David, you were saying something. I'm sorry. I was just going to say exactly what you said. I want to be available to recommend it and uh, jump in with comments and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to do. So, yeah, but that might be an important post because, see, um, the food thing is an important thing because that leads up to the fat shaming topic. You know, yeah. people blame people for being fat and they say, well, you choose to eat food that makes you fat and I blame you and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. I, I already start with the understanding that first of all, people aren't really the authors. Like even if you don't know that free will is an illusion, you can still come to understand how we don't have food free will, as I call it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it's an easy topic to start on. I mean, I already know the pitfalls of it, but I think that the pitfalls are going to be much less severe than entangling it with politics just yet, because like. For instance, the same with the Benjamin Labette experiment, you know, a lot of people say, well, that was just a choice between lifting their hand or not. That's not a significant choice. I don't know why that should matter at all, that it's not a significant choice, as if that changes, you know. And then, okay, well, fine. So it's different when somebody chooses to murder somebody than when they when they lift their, their left or right hand. But what is the difference? Like, explain to me how getting from that choice to murder all of a sudden makes it a free will choice. And... <sighs> 
yeah. to me, that's one of those things that I think will make it easy to put the ball in their court. Like, so they're going to start saying after that, well, that's just choosing food. It's not like choosing to murder somebody. Okay, well, what is the difference then? Like, I understand the logical difference. I understand that, I understand that it's not the same thing. I understand that one, I'm putting food in my mouth, and the other one, I'm pulling a trigger to kill somebody. But why does killing somebody get you to free will, whereas putting food in your mouth does not? Yeah, Quay, that is well said, extremely well said, and I want to respond to that. Because people, they have different categories. They have like one type of choices, and then they have another category called moral choices. Like they think some choices are just you know not moral, and then other choices are in the category of morality. Like this is morally wrong, um, whereas th this other thing, it's not morally right or wrong, it's just a preference. And... But here's the way I look at it. The only difference, because there's not really a difference as far as the process of choice is just yeah. a causal process based on nature and nurture. The only difference is that in one case, we don't like the consequences of that choice. And that's yeah. why we have a stronger emotional reaction to it. Yeah. Well, some people would still say it's a moral choice. Some people would say that if I shove a hamburger, I mean, you would even, right? You would say it's a moral choice if I put a hamburger in my mouth as opposed to like something green. That's a moral choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example there, Quaid, because it's certainly in the realm of, of morality because if what you're putting in your mouth requires another being to be killed in order for you to do that, then it is no different from pulling a, a, a trigger on a gun to, sh to shoot someone. So that's why that is no different. Yeah, and I'm also I, I'm also harming myself with that action, you know. So I'm I'm harming the the conscious entity that I'm killing to consume food, but I'm also knowingly in a lot of circumstances putting something that I know is fatty or is, is high in cholesterol, which I know will eventually kill me as a poet. It's, it's, you know, it's, and it's, it's analogous to cutting your, your wrist or something. Obviously it's not apples to apples, but you know, like I'm doing myself harm for the way that it makes me feel. That's, that's still a moral. I'm just saying when this comes up, I, I, I'm foreseeing these things and I think, you know, we really need to say like, no, this is still more like stop trying to shift the conversation. Like it really still, is heavily integrated in moral parameters. Yeah, you're exactly right, Quaid, on that 100%. And see, the, the thing about this is that, yeah, people have these, these different categories, but I think those categories of separating, well, these are moral, moral choices and these are not, that, that there doesn't, that wall is not really there. Yeah. And another thing you said that's important is like, aside from harming another animal, you're also harming yourself because that there are certain health problems, health problems that can cause you when you consume animal fat and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and you know, that gets into a whole nother thing, you know, because in recent times it's become a topic of debate about euthanasia, for example, whether people have, you know, the right to to end their own life or something like that. Uh-huh. And that, that gets a little bit interesting because um, whenever we're talking about life and death issues, those are the most emotionally driven issues. Those are the ones where people are least likely to accept that free will is an illusion because they have a need to blame people um, when it involves killing someone. Yeah.
And and it's kind of an interesting thing because, like, just for example, with the um, euthanasia thing, well, uh, my only thing is that how sad it is that a person is in a situation where they want to get out of life so bad that they that they want to kill themselves, whether that's through euthanasia and a doc a doc doctor-assisted suicide, or whether that's some other sort of suicide attempt. The, I, 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 as a determinist, I think, well, what can we do to make sure that people are never at that point? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's preferable, obviously. You know, that's the that's what we, that's kind of the end goal. We want every, because I mean, a lot of it has to do with purpose. You don't see the purpose in your life. It's it, that's for most, for, for some people, like, so, I think that's can be split up. Like one of it is one of the reasons people want to kill themselves. I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons, but one of them, the two main ones, I think, is one uh, suffering. So they're suffering clinically. They're suffering from some disease or something, you know. And in those circumstances, I'm I almost in all circumstances think that that that's, that's up to that individual who is suffering because they shouldn't have to. But on the other one, it's psychological. You know, it's not it's not a physical thing. It's psychological. They don't see they don't have purpose in their lives. And that's something that we can't we if we can fix the health of the people who weren't healthy, obviously, that would solve that issue. The other issue would be to give people purpose who don't have any. Uh, and that would solve that issue. Yeah, there, there is a you have a very valid point there, Quaid, because one thing is where like a physical uh, disease is causing them extreme pain and they just want to get out of that. You know, we may not have the cure for that sometimes, whereas if someone is feeling, if someone has a, a depression or, or otherwise feels like their life has no purpose, well, it might be easier to give a person psychological help than it is to, like, cure cancer or something. Yeah, yeah and to provide purpose to that person, you know, like be their friend. Being a friend is, it gives you purpose in life, you know, um, and that's, that's much easier to fix and so I would be less apt to say that we should just allow people to uh, even though I, and I said I say this with and it, with extreme caution because you know as I said before I consider myself libertarian I, I disagree with libertarians in a lot of things but I, I, I see the value in allowing people to follow out their will you know so I don't say it lightly at all. Um, but I think that there are certain circumstances if the issue is psychological in which we shouldn't just say you can kill yourself, especially when it's such an easy – or it, we can fix the issue, so to speak. Well, yeah. It's sort of like you don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, go ahead and kill yourself. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just kind yeah, of and see that's the thing about it because there's – like, you know – when people value uh, – like there's people who genuinely believe that, well, yeah, people should do what they want, you know, that we, we should generally let people, you know, um, end their life if their life is not worth living to them. But at the same time, sometimes letting people kill themselves is just a way out of actually having to do something to help those people. Yeah, and there's a, a social repercussion, I think, that can be made, too, or social argument that they, they have a responsibility to society. If this person, say, is a well-known engineer and they, they kill themselves, that it is a detriment to society uh, for that person to be dead, so to speak. Again, I don't think that necessarily takes away their liberty, um, but I think that it 
it doesn't make it just black and white. You know, it's not just like, well, it's your life, you can end it. It makes it, we have to urge this person in some, possibly some legal way that they can't just kill themselves, that they maybe they have to seek certain amount of psychological evaluations before they can do that or something like that. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's, it's a very important thing because these kinds of discussions, I think the word for this is nuance. Let me look up what that word actually means to make sure I'm using it right. N nuance, a subtle difference in meaning, opinion, or attitude. Like, yeah, like I get, like, basically like these things are complex, really. Like, it's, it's not where, um, like, each situation where a person kills himself is the same. Right. It's not just like the lying thing we were talking about earlier. Th there's different reasons behind why someone's lying. There's difference. Be uh, there's obviously a difference between lying um, to save someone's life or lying with the purpose of assisting killing someone. There's a there's a difference between the motivation, the intention behind the lie. Yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you think, David? I know we're just kind of going back and forth here, but. Um, what, what were we talking about, like suicides and, um... Yeah, yeah, we kind of yeah. got off topic a little bit. Well, I don't know what we should be talking about. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, I mean, there's, there's a difference between, um, I think, suicide and I think the other thing they call it is uh, self-inflicted death. And that is where someone, they die from wounds they, that they inflict on themselves. But really, they're just doing it for, for like, a cry for attention. yeah. But that's yeah, true. So, yeah. 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 So so not everybody that dies by killing themselves is actually meaning to commit suicide. That's if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that is. Yeah, that that's something that should be brought up. I mean, um I, I think we kind of ended up in a different place than we wanted to originally, but I still I mean, while we're on it, yeah, I mean, like if someone there's a difference between somebody who legitimately wants to end their life and who is saying it because they need something else. They want purpose. They they don't actually want to die. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So quite, that, quite often. So, when, when, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, oh, it, I, I, there was something I was going to say. I think the conversation we're having proves a valid point that once you take away the conversation stopper, which is free will belief – then all of a sudden this floodgate opens of all of these moral issues, moral, legal issues, discussing – it means discussing war, suicide, abortion, animal rights. It means opening up the discussion for all these other topics and then we talk about it and I think that it actually takes a person of extreme patience to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, I, I was reading uh, Robert Kane, and what, like one of the things that he says to also to loop it back even more to free will than you did, Chandler. Um, he was talking. So basically, he Robert Kane believes in free will. He's a libertarian free willist, but he tries to make the argument without evoking a soul or anything. But his his one of his main arguments is well. Really, there's a conflict of will. So if someone, you know, someone's on their way to work and they're going to be late, but then they see someone getting mugged, and there's this conflict of will. And to them, that's where free will exists, right there in that choice. Really, what I think is they've moved the goalpost back. You know, okay, well then, what decides which one, which will they go with? But to go off of what uh, David said, 
you know, the really the issue there is there's a conflicting will. They clearly have a will to die, or else they wouldn't be doing what they what they were doing. But there's other wills going on in there. We're not this singular entity with one will. We're actually this very complex entity with multiple wills that are constantly combating against one another in order to culminate into action. Yeah, that's right. And if I remember correctly, Quaid, in one of our previous um, uh, podcasts, you, you said that's the opposite of freedom. That's bondage. That's, you know, that's your, you're conflicted, yeah. you know. You, you don't have the feeling of being free. You're stuck in a, a battle of wills. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's like being a rope and being tugged back and forth but feeling free because you're moving around. Like, really, <laughs> It's not the same thing. Really, you're bound by the things that are pulling you. Well, yeah, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, a puppet is free as long as he loves his strings. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that expression. Yeah, I think, yeah, Sam Harris said that, and that's basically what he thinks of compatibilism, you know? Because we really are like that rope or that puppet that we're being pulled around by forces over which we have no control at all. And yet we then when things go our way, we think, oh, well, aren't we great that we did this thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of switch back, though, to the online presence, because I, I think that, uh, Chandler, you were, you know, you're kind of leery about it, right? Like, you, you're not sure where, how this thing, I, I, I like, to, to, since he's not here, I, I do want to talk about it just to talk about it, even if it, even if we don't publish this thing. But I think that finding liberal mediums to have this conversation in order to try to widen our base is valuable, in some way. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the methods, or we don't even seem to have a method yet. We seem to be still having the conversation about what exactly should happen. Um, and I mean, people are tearing into us pretty bad on these things. They they seem to not. They, we seem to be giving them uh, or allow we seem to be uh, building the structure in such a way that it makes it easy for people to not engage in the actual argument and that's what I like about the article that you want to post is I think that's one of those things that would make it It's to me it would be more likely to uh, prompt certain responses that would actually be conversation starters yeah I think that I think that's good because it's less emotionally driven and and I want to clarify since we're talking about this Part of the reason that I'm leery of it, like that I'm kind of um, reluctant about it, is because, yeah, the political nature of things makes me deeply uncomfortable. Like I've said before, like I feel like a fish out of water, you know, or a clown out of the circus or something, you know? Yeah. Like I don't feel like I really belong. I, and, and see, the kind of stuff that, that I care about, I would not post on either a liberal or conservative uh, political anything like I would not be posting it on that it's only something that I talk about with people I trust such as you guys on the, on this podcast or maybe write books or maybe share it with friends on my Facebook page maybe it you know because even that can be scary because there's a lot of a lot of controversy just among my Facebook friends yeah but, yeah yeah yeah, so, like, here's the deal. So, George may be right. George may be totally right that this Daily Coast thing is a good way, because of its popularity, um, to to express this free will thing to people. And so far, 
the comments have been nasty. They have been really nasty. People are missing the point. They've been accusing of sock puppeting and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but, yeah, so maybe, like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this Daily Coast thing. It's more like I feel that I am more of a backseat person, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I feel like... I'm it's better when George and Nick are the ones doing the posting the articles although I may post my food related one possibly yeah um because I just feel like some people um know the terrain like some people are the guides in this unknown political territory and yeah. I and I'm just the I'm just the the helpless person who doesn't have a clue like Wait, I don't even know what a libertarian is. You'll have to fill me in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could. I mean, I could do that. I mean, it's really obviously complicated. I mean, and uh, a lot of liberals would would give me shit because of you know because I say that I'm a libertarian, even though I mean, basically, there's there's extreme forms of libertarianism, which is basically the 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 less the government, the better. Okay, so that's like the premise of libertarianism. So the less laws there are, the less um, government um, intervention there is, the better. Now, you probably already thought of a million problems with that. Probably, I would imagine. Um, but uh, I, I, to me, it's, it's different in that I, I want less laws. I want less government involvement, even though I understand it's not practical under the conditions uh, Americans live under right now. So, like, for instance, uh, I can make a law that um, kind of equals the playing field for new businesses because one business has gotten so powerful that if I just allow them to continue, they'll have a monopoly, right? Um, and a lot of that has to do with the other business's ignorance of the terrain. So if the other, if the other business didn't understand that they had a certain... Um, um, restriction like you're not allowed to build your store in this area otherwise you have to pay for these things or it's just impossible i have to make laws so that the bigger business can't take advantage of them for that or the big business can't make new laws uh in order to restrict those people but to me if that person was educated about the terrain of the business you wouldn't ha you wouldn't need the law in the same way so you could actually have less laws if people were better, better educated, but you would have to start with a better premise than what we have now. So that's that's essentially why I consider myself libertarian. Is as I do want people to to be able to act out their wills. I just I want I think we need to get to that point, and you have to do it through laws. You have to do it through government restrictions. You have to do it through um, uh, enforcement of policy. Blah blah blah. I just I would prefer not to have it. Yeah. Couldn't you go back a step further and say that you wanted to give people wills that were um, that were healthy to society? They promoted health and well-being. Exactly. Well, that's and that's exactly my point. So, for instance, if we knew for if we knew for a fact that the will that everybody had, because we had set up our society in such a way that people understood moral responsibility, they understood humanism, they understood what happens when you act a certain way towards another person if they understood all these things and we knew that there was no longer murder like nobody ever had the desire to nobody had the will to murder anymore because we had eradicated that will why would you need the law at that point exactly yeah yeah, yeah and good. i i would like to respond to that too guys because here's the deal 
Now I know that the way things are now, like this is this is like a futuristic sort of opinion that I've never shared on this podcast, mind you, because this is kind of controversial, and a lot of people will send me hate mail after I say this. But in a world where everybody truly gets their free will solution, no one's blaming anyone, and everyone is patient, kind, and understanding. And the desire for murder is gone, like you know, like you were saying, like when that desire is gone because people are no longer filled with hate and they're well educated, you don't need the law anymore. And so I agree with what you're saying, Quaid. And so I consider myself sort of like an, an idealist anarchist, like anarchist in an ideal world where we've all gone past these these stupid irrational things like revenge and hatred and all of that yeah yeah and and fairly you could call me an anarchist too um i I guess i just put libertarian on it because i'm so used to identifying myself as that that it's hard to i I prefer not to identify myself but i've just done it for so long that it just the first thing that flies out of my mouth but it is actually anarchy you're right and not yeah yeah, and, and yeah, I'm not too attached to labels all that much, but I, I call it our anarchism like I'm sort of um, an anarcho-pacifist. Like, you know, I'm just sort of – because I'm, I'm a pacifist and I, I, I tend to think um, that – like for example, let's take for example one type of law, anti-discrimination laws that, you know, businesses can't uh, refuse to hire or fire someone based on race, religion, um, national origin, sexual orientation, you know, these different anti-discrimination laws. And I think, how sad is it that we live in a society where people are racist and sexist and, and that they would, you know, that they would discriminate based on these things that we understand people don't choose any of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, see, like average people, Quaid and David, like average people get that you don't choose your skin color, you don't choose what gender you are, you know, you don't choose your national origin, but then they say, well, you choose your religion and you choose your sexual orientation. Uh And so in reality, anti-discrimination laws are a good law. I'm not saying that they're not a good law, but I'm saying in a future society where where, where humans aren't so stupid, we don't need laws. We don't need government because we know how to act. We know how to treat people. Yeah, yeah. And some people just uh, anticipate kind of um, uh, what what would be good arguments against it is. Well, wouldn't it be good to have the law just in case? Like, so for instance, if if I was if I was fairly certain that no one would ever have the will to murder anybody else, which usually means they would never murder anybody else. Uh, what's the harm in having that law there anyway? And I think that's where you get into a discussion. Oh, George is coming on. Yeah, I I tried to um, I'm trying to add him onto our call because. Hey, George, are you there? Yeah, I just got in. Oh yeah, hey. Um, we we actually we we've already started a podcast and we've been talking for about an hour already and it's really been a good talk. Like. You know, we, we've, we've mentioned the Daily Coast things a few times, but we were sort of waiting for you to get on to, like, really talk about it. But we were talking about the most amazing stuff, and so I'm sure you'll want to listen to the recording of that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, um, so, what? okay, so, where were we? <laughs> I was saying, um, we were talking about the law and how... Would it, wouldn't it still be beneficial to have the law there just in case? And I would, and 
I think what's thought about after that is resources. Like you still have to exhaust a certain amount of resources to enforce that law, which is a detriment to the community. Anytime you have to, and that's that's the fundamental basis, by the way, for anarchism is the concept that uh, uh, it's when you build the premise of your society on theft to them. I'm obviously not an anarchist, but uh, if if you build the premise of society on theft, you're you've already morally corrupted the system, and so that's the that's the the root of all evil, so to speak. So when I hold a gun to your head and I say, "Give me this money so that I can go fund this thing," um, that's immoral, which I understand in theory, but I don't. I think it's you know more complicated than that. Yeah, I think um, George will probably be confused. Um, so I'm gonna just gonna tell George. See, George, what you were talking about just before you came on is we were talking about a futuristic world where you know, like, let's say everyone got that free will is an illusion. People no longer have the hatred, the blame, the desire for revenge, all of those sorts of things. Where people have become a lot more intelligent and compassionate it might be possible to conceive of either a libertarian notion of small government or an anarchist notion of no government because it's no longer necessary in such a world. Well, yeah, I mean, like, small, the difference between small and large and big government, it, it depends how you're defining the, the terms. Because, I mean, like the, the, the important criteria is that people's needs are provided for. You know, if, if a small government can do that, fine. If you need a larger one, fine. But that, that's, I think, you know, it's kind of like, and, and this is, I think, the, um, the rationale behind the Venus Project and, and these other futuristic pro um, projects, that they are needs-based. You know, it's, you know, resources are distributed as they're needed rather than, like, in this competitive capitalist um, system. Yeah. yeah. And what's important to mention is, of course, someone can certainly have a big government and yet not have people's um, needs met. And so I think that's the kind of problem we're living in now. You want to know something? This is like it's a coincidence because like I just decided today that all right, on Daily Coast, they're having a hard time grasping this free will thing. And um, I think you guys should still stay with it. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to take maybe a week or two and shift over to this um, this system that I, I created. Actually, I developed it in the 1980s. The idea is that like part the the world doesn't really run the way it could because when we go to the store and buy products, that money most of it goes to like one percent or just like the very rich who have too much. Where then things that need to be funded aren't funded. So the whole strategy behind this this um, the system that I developed in the 80s, and I, I just retooled it for climate change, is like every time you go to a store to buy a product, instead of buying it from one of these rich corporations, you buy it from a company that like Paul Newman's company, Newman's Own, donates all the profits to worthy causes, whether it's like fighting climate change and all. So, so uh, you know, so this, and, and the, the, the great thing about this is it's a it's a it's a kind of like a democratic it's an economic demo, um, economic democracy or democratic kind of like product uh, system where each time you buy a product you're kind of like voting for for like you know what what causes you want to fund so I mean I know it's a you know um, it's a bit abstract now but I'm gonna like what I, yeah what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna segue from these um, you know the series on free will again just for about a week or two whatever put a, a few of these articles out on on um, what I call climate rescue capitalism and return back to it. 
because like this, this is just in sync, you know, it just relates very, very much to what you guys are talking about, like about fulfilling needs without the need for a very big government. Yeah, and I'm totally down with that, George, because I read your book, Climate Rescue Capitalism, and it really is a brilliant idea because, in a sense, whenever we're, what, like whenever we're buying something, we are voting for something. It's similar because what we buy funds the, the companies who provide that product, and so your, your idea of that is, is great, you know. So, yeah, I think that, that, that might be good to focus on that, but then we'll, we'll we'll eventually get back to the free will thing on that. But like also, George, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about how free will belief is the conversation stopper. How when people believe in free will, it makes them, they just blame people, and then they don't look into the causes. They don't look about having the discussion about, well, how do we have a society? How do we run things without belief in free will? Um, cause, cause like there's, it's like people are afraid of the consequences and they have emotional needs, uh, uh, for things to be a certain way. And they're afraid that by promoting this truth that we don't have free will, that we're taking that away. And <laughs> which of course is silly because the truth is we don't have free will. And so they're just arguing from adverse consequences, but it doesn't make us have free will. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Can I uh, just two things? Uh, I have questions for you, then George, because I, I don't know anything about the project. But like, so is the idea that like you have a company that is uh, dedicated to um, fixing climate change, and then you have another company that is dedicated to like clean water, and both of them um, like are are they have companies that like produce like um, I don't know like uh, some type of bread, and then you decide. Which is that the concept there? Well, well, quite. I mean, that's that's the concept in part. But the other part is that these companies are competing against Wonder Bread and and you know um, Fryhoffers and all that. Okay. So the, and so like I did two surveys. I back in the eighties, um, I did a survey. I asked a hundred shoppers outside of a supermarket here. You know, if if your supermarket sold products that were equal in price and quality. To the products you now buy, but you knew that 100% of the profit from these new products was going to be um, devoted, you know, donated to the the cause back then was world hunger, global um, global poverty. I asked them, would you buy these new products? And 92 out of the 100 people said yes. Then then last um, a couple of years ago in September, I asked 50 people the same question. But this time, the, the beneficiary cause was climate change. And out of the 50, I believe, 44 said yes. So, okay. I mean, like, so the idea is, like, if, if this, if what they say translates to market shares, Quaid, you got to realize that's, you know, even if, even if it's one-tenth of what they say they'll do, that's, these are very, very substantial market shares in any, any market, like, especially uh, food products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds it sounds great. I would I would uh, want to see something like that um, implemented. Uh, I, I just like one uh, piece of dissent, though, if if I can. Um, like there, are, so I'm thinking like if you have bread in the uh, like for instance, they they have um, like huge supermarkets where there's like 
I don't. There's like every type of juice you could possibly imagine, or there's 50 ty different types of peanut butter, um, and people don't shop there. People don't shop at places where they have too many alternative options because uh, I guess they go into uh, what's it, what's it called? It's called um, basically like they they become confused about the choice and they don't make the choice. Oh, analysis paralysis. Yeah, that's what it's called. Analysis paralysis. So so. Um, like if they're competing with Wonder Bread, like that would be probably awesome because it's it's um, like you said, if they have to choose between just giving their funds to a company or giving it to a cause, most people are going to want to do it with the cause. But if you have causes competing with each other, especially if they're selling the same product, that could actually have adverse con consequences for the store that it's being sold at. Well, I agree with you. I would discourage that, especially in the beginning, until it's you know. Like you're right. I mean, maybe eventually, I mean, ideally, it'd be wonderful if you go into a store. And again, because like what happens is a person goes into a store now and buys something. Yeah, they, they feel good that they've gotten something that they, they need. But they go into a store and they buy one of these products. They feel that they've actually contributed without it costing them anything. So so you're right. While, while hopefully there'll be products, you know, competing with, with the products that are out there, you know, across the board then ideally, especially in the beginning, it wouldn't be a, a good idea for, for different causes to be competing with each other. Yeah. You know, another thing, speaking of bread, is people really need to stop putting milk in bread. I don't know why they do that. <laughs> I don't even notice that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I look at the ingredients of every bread I buy, and I'm really pissed off that most of them have milk. Yeah. Yeah, well, well uh, um, Chandler, I'm a vegan but like sometimes with trace elements, I'm not going to drive myself nuts. You know, like I just like, you know, because it is impossible. I've, I've done that before. Like it's so, so difficult to like find something that, that a little egg or a little, um, you know, milk isn't put in there. Yeah, I know what you're uh, I know what you're saying. And see, here's the deal is that like if it just says, well, it, you know, it made in a factory that also produces this stuff, or it may or may not contain eggs or milk. I, I tend to still buy it just because well, you know good. it it may they they don't even know what's in it, which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of scary. But normally I can find one that just doesn't have any of it, you know, because there's a lot of different breads and stuff. But it's but it's still a little bit weird to me that people would put that put milk in bread anyway. That's a little weird. I don't know. No, I agree. Yeah, so I think that's something to consider as far as companies when they're when they are, you know, this client rescue capitalism thing is a good idea because if people can buy products that support a certain cause like fighting climate change or solving world hunger or or something like that, that's good. But it's I just think it's important that those products also have to take into consideration that their products are very healthy and of high quality and hopefully vegan. That's important. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, I think ideally, you know, um, we want to kind of like get the part, the, the um, products out there, get kind of like the idea out there. Because the other part of this, I don't know if you guys know, um, one of the selling points, like a not-for-profit organization, you know, they generally get their money from donations, right? And I think the standard a couple of decades ago, it, Maybe the standard still now is about 20% of the revenue they can devote to operating expenses, like salaries and supplies and stuff. So another great thing about this climate rescue capitalism, let's say you got four, four people get together, market a product, and let's say they 
donate one, um, let's say they don't donate one million dollars to, you know, um, to carbon sequestration, you know, whatever. Um, then like they're entitled to $200,000 for, for every 1 million that they donate. So that's 50,000 each, you know, decent salary. If they donate 2 million, all of a sudden they're each making a hundred thousand. So again, even from the, the business owner standpoint, you know, you're not making as nearly as much money as you would if you own the company, and you're taking all that money. But I think, you know, considering the advantage that, that you would have over conventional companies by donating so much money to um to to in this case climate change you'd probably just you know do so much better business than than conventional companies so again what i'm saying it's a way not just you know for consumers shoppers to be able to donate you know to worthy causes without it costing them anything you know it's a, it's also a way for entrepreneurs especially young entrepreneurs to to you know start a business an excellent selling point while also doing something amazingly good for society and, and making good money at it. Yeah. I mean, and I think that it's really important. And, you know, the climate change thing has been on my mind recently. Um, because, see, here's the thing is that whenever we're trying to convince someone of the truth of something, such as that they don't have free will or evolution or climate change or, or something like that, it's always a little bit difficult. Um, and so I hope this isn't too off topic, but it's sort of like, you know, I'm good at explaining why free will is impossible. I'm really good at that part because causality and a causality get completely abolish that. But when it comes to climate change, it's difficult to have the same level of confidence and explanatory power to convince people that there is a climate change. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Chandler. Uh, I have the same problem. Uh, not quite the exact same problem. The kind of the way that I break that down is so I, I I've said before that I used to be a fundamentalist Christian. So obviously I, I didn't believe in evolution, um, and um, I, I I did research on it, and I would I literally went back and forth. So I would go to a creationist website and read what they had to say, and then I would go do research on the thing they were talking about. And in every instance, it was a misunderstanding on the part of the creationist, right? And at the end of the day, and, and George has said this before too, there's, there is something to expertism. It seems like an appeal to authority. It seems like an appeal to um, popularity or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it means something when somebody has studied in a field. So I always try to, with something like climate change, put the burden of proof on them. Like, are you disagreeing with people who have studied this topic way more than you have? And then I try to, ex I try to explain it the only way I can, which is through evolution, and explain that if you just look at like five to ten studies, you can be horribly, you can you can be horribly um, misinformed about what those studies mean when you consider them in the context of thousands of studies that have been done on the topic. God, I used to have a um, an account on Daily Coast um, about eight years ago, and I just decided to start a new one to start fresh and all. But on that last account. I actually I wrote a post at one time saying that the government should actually make it illegal for corporations like Exxon and all to confuse the public about climate change because that's what they do. They they pour in millions of dollars to confuse people. That's why a lot of people don't believe in it. And here's the rationale. Here's the precedent. Um, for example, 
Um, we as a society, through our medical establishment, know that cigarettes are can, are harmful to one's health. It can be, right? So yeah. not, only, not only do cigarette manufacturers, um, not only are they prohibited from saying, you know, these cigarettes are safe for your, for your health, they actually have to put a, a warning label, these cigarettes are harmful to your health. So in other words, you have an, a, a medical authority, authority that has established a conclusion on cigarette smoking, and then you have a law based on that. So again, with climate change, there is a preponderance, there's like, there's no question that, that climate change is happening, that we're causing it. So we should have a similar law with that, that like, no, you know, no news organization, no company should be able to like, basically it's called false advertising, should tell people that, that this is not happening, that it's not dangerous when our, you know, authorities on this say it's so, um, so incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and I, I would even... Um... To me, that's compounded. I would even take it to the extreme on that, in that with cigarette smoking, you're really, you're harming yourself and those in your immediate vicinity. But when you're talking about climate change, we're talking about the extinction of a whole human species. So, like, really, it needs to be compound. Like, the way that we implement laws to, to, to stop this thing needs to be compounded by the fact that we're dealing with something much more serious here. We're not dealing with something that just hurts the individual or those around the individual. And, you know, that's like, like, again, I've said I'm a libertarian on here. I do not care if we take money from rich heads or whoever we need to to stop global warming because that's how, you know, it, we can't argue about stuff if we're all dead. Okay? So, like, that, that takes precedence over any other principled thing I would want to take on libertarianism. Like, it's something that we need to deal with. Like, right now, like, scientists have, like... We're always constantly pushing the, the deadline forward. It's never going backward. Like we, at first we were talking, you know, in a, in a couple hundred years, and the we're always the harm that's being created is always exceeding the expectations of scientists. That's like that's something we need to get on right away. I agree with you completely. And you know something about that. Um, it might have been that who knows? Maybe the Democrats have been wanting to do that for years. But maybe they thought, ah, if we do that, the conservative Supreme Court is just going to, like, overthrow it. They're going to render it, you know, unconstitutional or whatever. And now with a 5-4, you know, hopefully soon um, Democrat or progressive balance in the court, you know, now we might be ready for that. You know, like, listen, you know, you, you're misinforming the public, and it is an existential crisis. So, like, not only is it going to be illegal, they're going to be, like, you know— uh, incredible fines and incredible penalties for for um for prohibiting it for transgressing yeah. it yeah like a carbon tax that would be really nice if we could get something like that going um, but uh do you guys mind if i switch a little bit here or do we still want to talk about this no no go, go ahead i do have a question so so we all went through the daily coast thing uh and we're i know that you're kind of wanting to back off a little bit for now george uh but um, and we were talking earlier about, you know, why do people react the way they do? I think David said it. David said that uh, a lot of it has to do with pride. A lot of it has to do with ego, right? So they, they just have an ego. This is an argument that they've convinced themselves in their head they've won, and so they refuse to back off of it no matter how logical your argument is. I think there's another thing here, too, and I don't know if there's a way to address this on this website or even if you would want to because it might – cause too much of a negative reaction. But I think liberals want to blame conservatives. I think that that's in the same way that 
we say free willists, people who believe in free will have somebody that they want to blame or they want to feel pride in their own work. I think that person, that, that group for liberals is conservatives. So how do you get around something? Is that a fair assessment? Am I incorrect? Or no, disagree? it's completely fair. But and, you know, and that actually is the nature of, of politics. You know, um, Democrats are blaming Republicans. Republicans are blaming Democrats. You know, cons liberals, conservatives, and vice versa. Yeah. So how do you how do you address that? I think it's yeah. the same way. You know, for example, like you know, these guys like Hitler. They sure they didn't have a free will either, right? But. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't have to hate these people, but you have to stop them. So, like, you know, actually, it would be like, you know, kind of motivating a more civil uh, politics. Yeah. You know, you, you can kind of... Have you said anything like that? Say that again? Have you said anything like what you just said? Like, you, you don't have to hate them, you just have to stop them. Yeah, I've said that occasionally. Probably not nearly enough. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering, because to me, that's... That's probably the, the like when you think about it, like why did these people hold on to this argument so much? Uh, especially when you're, you've always taken the you know, uh, Republicans take this on and it really motivates the platform, which obviously it does. But I think liberals are motivated by the platform as well, and that's why they don't want to get rid of it because it helps them point out the enemy, which to them is conservatives. Right. Well, quite you know, like in terms of like if because um, like you know for your book. For your novel, I mean, it, it's important for you to understand this. Um, there's uh, something in science and psychology known as motivated think or uh, reasoning, or um, I think it's motivated thinking or motivated reasoning. And um, basically, the idea is that most of us think that people decide what they believe based on reason and logic. Um, uh -huh. This whole body of research is demonstrating, no, they decide, like, based on, for example, what their parents decided or, or whether they're a man or a woman, all these things that aren't related to, to reason. And um, if you want to know more about it, there's a guy, um, Chris Mooney, who is, um, he's a science writer. He's a science writer for New York Times. He wrote a book, you know, several years ago called The Republican Brain that explains this phenomenon because, you know, it's interesting because, like, he makes he makes it clear in the book that it's not just a Republican phenomenon. Um, Democrats do it also, you know. Yeah. But, but in other words, to the extent that you understand these non-logical reasons that explain why people are not able to accept that free will is an illusion, then you can, like, you know, make your, your um, you know, your book appeal to those um, those kind of like hidden factors also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have to. That reminds me of a concept called the Max Planck effect. I think I've said talked about it before. I try to like not repeat things that I've said. I'm sorry, guys, but um, no, you should. A lot of times, that's we have to repeat them because like we're, we're messaging. We have a different audience sometimes. Like you know, each each podcast, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Um, uh, the Max Planck effect. It's it's actually kind of troubling. Uh, so I don't know if you guys know exactly what the, what it is, but it shows that even in science, scientific paradigm shifts happen generationally. So when when there's a revolution in science, it's it's um, more likely to be people dying off, and yeah. and the new generation implementing a new idea, even within science. So that means that not only Republicans or Democrats, but even among the most elite of thinkers or who we consider the elite of thinkers they're also 
very stubborn about their ideas. They're less likely to make it based off of logic and reason, but based off of what they believed previously or where they geared their research. And I think a lot of that, I think that's important too, because I think a lot of that has to do with free will. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they feel they've invested a lot of time into this thing and so that they deserve to be compensated for their ideas and the amount of time. It, it would suck to just, you know, put put 40 or 50 years into a research and then despite the fact that there's a better idea, you fight against it because to, in your head, you deserve the recognition that comes with your idea being right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. To the extent people like lose the, the belief in free will, they lose all these ego driven needs, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very valid point, Quake. You know, the, the longer somebody's been invested in something, the harder it is for them to change. Because, um, yeah, they don't want to think they wasted all that time. And what you said about, you know, shifts happening generationally, like the biggest changes that happen are, you know, the old generation dies off and the new generation, which differs slightly from them, that's where it's coming from. I think that's basically the same as natural selection in a sense, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Max Planck made that statement that like science progresses one funeral at a time. Was that it? Oh, was that was that okay? I didn't know that. That's what he actually. I just knew about the Max Planck effect because I was doing research and everybody had been calling it the Max Planck effect. But yeah, it makes yeah. Sense that that's why they called that that. Right. It comes from that that quote. And you're it, it's 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 right. I mean, now hopefully, hopefully the thing is all right. So like all this all these conclusions to a great extent are pre-internet. You know, so ideally, maybe the Internet, you know, just packs, allows people to get so much more information about whatever they need to know. So hopefully that effect will just lessen, you know, over these next years, you know, next decades. Definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, the one good thing about the Internet. Well, actually, there's many good things. But here's what here's something that's really good about the Internet is basically in the old days before the Internet, before everyone was so wired and connected. They have their beliefs. They just seek uh, social contacts who reinforce those beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is irrelevant. The point is people just stayed the same. They didn't change much because they just stay within a social circle that all has the same beliefs. But as soon as somebody gets on the Internet, um, then they're around other people with different ideas. And I think that's why people have changed since the invention of the Internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, so free will or the Internet might be one dynamic and it's it's probably made things a lot easier for a lot of people. But I still you know, I think that uh, conveniently free will has a lot to do with it. I think that the illusion of free will is like the it's like uh, it's it's a seizure. It's it's seizure. It's seizure in the in the bearing, so to speak, like it's it's prohibiting people from. How, so how do we get from this thing where it's generational, where we have to wait for a whole generation to die out to make progress, which, by the way, is awful. Like, it seems good because it's like, oh, well, eventually people will die and then humanity will progress. But with something like global warming, we don't really have that time anymore, do we? I mean, we could destroy ourselves before we get to the point where the change is enough to save humanity. Yeah. And so and, and, you know, here's an interesting thought, guys. Now, I'm not advocating this by any means because you know that I'm not for killing people. But what I'm going to say is some people, because of the climate change crisis, might try to justify killing all the people who are contributing to climate change as a you know, lesser of two evils sort of thing, killing off um, people because that's the only way to save the planet. 
Yeah, and that wouldn't even work because then other people would yeah. replace them, you know, doing yeah. the same thing. But, well, that, but Quaid, Quaid that, you're bringing up an, an excellent point. And I think, you know, hopefully sometime soon, maybe as soon as next week, you might want to lead a, a, a podcast discussion on that. You know, hopefully Trick and Mitch and a few other guys will join us because that, that's a theme that I have, you know, I may have mentioned it, but, you know, no, no, it's like, you know, it, it's much, it, it's extremely important. I haven't thought about it that much. And you're right, because like, especially with, with, with climate change, global warming, the, the, the challenge of the world today, we can't wait generations. Like you say, things have to happen much faster. So we got to find those answers. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's in, that, that ties in directly to the free will thing, because I, I think it inhibits the conversation about how to, you know, how do we get past our stubbornness and ego? So, you know, we don't seem to be able to. And so that's that's the that's the seizing of the wheels or the bearing, so to speak. We need to grease the wheels. And I think seeing free will as an illusion is a way to grease those wheels uh, because it, it gets us past the blaming aspect. And then we start to and it gets us past the well, I have to make my idea work because it's my idea. So we start going with the best ideas uh, instead of, you know, taking everything personally and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and you know, something else I want to throw out there is that I think George is right that free will belief has a lot to do with denial of climate change because people don't want to think that they're doing something that bad because under free will they feel morally responsible. And so it's too hard for them to handle. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, that, that, that was the next article that I was working on for the, the Free Will series for Coast. But I think I'm going to delay that until I, you know, just, you know, this, this other um, climate rescue capitalism might take six, seven um, entries and, and I'll go back to the Free Will. But yeah, that, that is important. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've been talking for about an hour and a half and I'm supposed to go to bed by eight. <laughs> and. <laughs> So, yeah, um, I probably do need to end this soon. But, yeah, I had about an hour talking with Quaid and David, and then um, George joined us for a little bit. So is there anything else you guys wanted to say before I end the recording? Uh, you, you can go. I want to say something, but it, can, it doesn't need to be on the recording. Oh, all right. In that case... Um, you've been listening to Free Will Science and Religion with Chandler Klebs, David Joseph, Quaid, and George Ortega, and we've talked a lot about why people are, are unable to accept that free will is an illusion and how free will belief is a conversation stopper that actually prevents us from having the discussions needed to solve real-world problems. And so that's the main thing that I want you to take away from this. Um, I hope you've enjoyed and learned something. Thank you for listening and goodbye.